This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Irene. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I love your wallpaper background. That's super pretty. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is my bedroom. <laughs> I love it. So where where are you? Uh, I live in Bolton, uh, which is just on the outskirts of Greater Manchester in England. Brilliant. So you're you're recording this a little late, but thank you for hopping on. It's awesome. Yeah, the the kids are in bed, so hopefully they'll stay that way. Perfect timing. That's awesome. So why don't you? Um, kind of take me back to the beginning with your journey with alcohol sort of where did it all where did it all begin for you right okay so I suppose I started off um as a regular 17 year old going to the pub on a Friday night a couple of uh, glasses of cider nothing extreme and um and, and that was all fine and if it could have stayed that way that I would have been grateful for that um and then I jo- I'm a police officer and I joined the police when I was 23 and uh, it was very much, um, we were on a shift together, it was a young shift, uh, we were all worked nights, worked afternoons, so when we had our days off, generally were midweek, we'd all go to, out together and it'd be big drinking sessions um, and a lot of the times, which was fun at the time, uh, a lot of the times I couldn't remember the end of the night. Um, I used to have this thing that people said was face drops, so my whole face would sort of drop, but I thought like, I was having a great time. So uh, things progressed from there. Um, I suppose I was, uh, I was married previously. Um, so when I had days off during the week, they would be my weekend. And when my husband at the time had his days off at the weekend, be his weekend so we ended up sort of drinking the four nights because it was both our weekends um and it, it sort of steadily became a habit um a bad habit um and then i suppose i, I uh, met my second husband and we got pregnant and stopped drinking for the nine months and then after i had my little boy went back to my regular drinking and I could still function. I was like working all the time, um, had my little boy, uh, drinking probably four nights out of the seven nights. Um, and then we wanted to have a second baby quite quickly. And we got pregnant um, when Ted, my eldest, was about um, seven months old. And uh, I, had, I went into labor at 28 weeks and we had a second little boy called Dusty, and he was stillborn. So um, obviously that is a major thing to deal with. Um, and at the time, my coping mechanism was to drink a bottle of wine every night. And, and, and I did, I don't regret it because I'm trying to not regret things, um, but I, I realized that even though it helped me in the initial part of the grieving process, I still had to go through everything that I would have had to go through. It just took me a longer time to go through the whole process. So I convinced everybody I was okay. And three months later, we got pregnant again. 
and I had my little boy, um, Albie. And after Albie arrived, I had everything that I, I wanted. I had two little boys, I had a husband, we had both had good careers. And, uh, and I, just, I just couldn't shake off this sadness I felt. And, and everything I was doing, it was like you were just saying earlier about on your live about catastrophizing. So mm. I, I think, oh, because this thing has happened, because we've already lost one baby, something else is bad's going to happen. So every time Albie had a little bit of a cough, I thought, that's it, this is Albie's time now. Um, and then, so my drinking just, it just became my coping mechanism. I was doing everything on, on social media. I was acing being a mum, but I was just doing everything in a haze. I was tired all the time, but I, but then you see these, um, what they call memes or whatever, where they say, mummy needs gin and mummy needs wine. And so it justifies itself to me that, yeah, yeah, crack on, you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job. Um, and then I suppose I still, I, once I had children, the funny things about blacking out at night, I weren't blacking out as in falling over, just blacking out as in memory loss. These funny things weren't particularly funny anymore once I had my children. Uh, but they, I continued doing them uh, and I sort of started thinking then about becoming uh, teetotal but it was just something none of my family had ever done you know it was I come from um, my mum's my Irish we come from a big Irish background it just it, it's just unheard of going teetotal and I thought I, I just kept trying to cut down and cut down and it, and it just never worked it, it I sort of tried one week and then I'll be back on it again the, the week after um and then I got diagnosed with a brain tumor two years ago wow. um and I got told that I was I would have to wait six months to see whether the tumor was growing to see whether the, I was going to have brain surgery so I waited the six months and then they told me it was growing so um I thought right okay so I had brain surgery in March last year but as I knew I was having the surgery from about November the, the year before, and I thought, what, what if something bad happens? Uh, and, and I just, I wanted to give myself my best chance, basically. And I thought, I don't want them to cut my head open and my brain be pickled with vodka. Um, so I just were like, right, okay, it's either now or never. So I, start, I started reading um, a well, I don't read actually. I do audio books all the time, so I'd listen to your book three times. But um, and I remember thinking when you said about the three o'clock, uh, waking up at three o'clock with the anxiety. I thought, oh my god, it's it's not me. It's not just me that it's a thing. Uh, and it and it made me realise that actually, uh, I didn't class myself as an alcoholic, but I definitely had a bad relationship with alcohol. And uh, on the uh, New Year's Eve on. The 31st of December 2018, I thought, right, okay, it, Adam, my husband was at work, he was on night, and I had a glass of wine, well, I had a bottle of wine, and my last glass was at 10 o'clock, and I knew that was going to be my last glass, um, and I thought, I'm, I'm either all or nothing kind of person, so I had my last glass, and I didn't tell anybody initially, for the first, like, two weeks, I didn't tell anybody, um, and then after, I think... I've heard a podcast uh, of yours before and somebody had sort of done all the preparation work before they actually did it. So it didn't seem as big a struggle as I expected it to be. I think because I got in the right mindset and I knew this is it, this is, it's now or never. So yeah, so now I'm on day 441 and I, I'm a bit like, 
oh my God, I can't believe that nobody knows how amazing this is. It's, it's, and my life has just changed so much. So I have brain surgery and, uh, and I have to say that uh, my recovery was really, really quick. I didn't get any side effects. And I do think I'd, I'd uh, probably, I think it was about three months teetotal at that stage. And I do think that by giving up the alcohol gave me the best chance of the recovery. And uh, since that time, since then, so we're at 12 months in now, I'm back at work, I've written a book, um, I've started public speaking, and all this is just completely out of my comfort zone. But it's like, um, I think, well, it's now or never, I'm doing it, I might as well just carry on and carry on. It's like you're on this roller coaster, and, and you just keep going and keep going. So, and, and here I am today, doing that's, this. That's amazing, so great. Um, there's so much in there to, to kind of back up and look at. Um, you know, especially what you said about grief. I thought that was really profound. And I've definitely seen that to be true in my own life and, and so many people's lives where it is not that you are actually avoiding anything. It's that you are, A, undermining your, your real ability to deal with it and deal with it on its own terms. Like, like um, I've heard grief described as kind of a storm, you know, and like when, when you let it, be what it needs to be and let it just take you. Uh, yeah. You can almost get through it. Whereas if you resist it, the storm persists because there's something yeah. that needs to happen and be cleaned and be, be purged and be allowed that we don't allow. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I just, because I, I'd never personally dealt with anybody close to me that I'd, I'd never dealt with grief before. And I remember feeling, uh, physical, physical pain in my chest. Um, and, and only now I realized, like you say, you need to go through these stages to get through the other, the other side. And, and you do get through the other side and, and you are okay again, but you need to let it happen. And by drinking, I was just stalling the inevitable. Mm. And I suppose it, 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 it makes it bigger then. And like I, you've always got, the stress uh, and, it, and then you drink and then you've got the guilt and the stress what you had initially so it's like double then it just it just becomes bigger and and a big a bigger thing to contend with yeah absolutely that's you know it's it's such a hard thing to stand in the worst of human pain and emotion um but it's also you know people who have talked to me about coming out the other side. It's like, if you let it, you can reflect back on it, not with this almost like traumatic. Yes, it's traumatic, but, but almost with a reverence. I don't know if that makes sense. I was like, Oh yeah, I did yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, uh, you mentioned earlier about, um, a diamond and, um, uh, I, my sister, one of my sister, I've got a sister who's 20 years younger than me. And she lived in London at the time when we lost Dusty. And I was like getting through it and dealing with being pregnant again. And um, she uh, sent me a Japanese proverb and I won't remember it properly, but it was something to do with the Japanese belief that if you break an ornament and you fix it together with gold, it becomes far more beautiful. And I do believe like with Dusty, with the brain tumor, with everything else that you deal with, like I, I'm 44 now and I feel like I'm, I'm in such a better place than I've ever been in my life. Um, and, and I feel that's true. 
That's amazing. It's so good. It is, yeah, that we're not supposed to, you know, live without our emotions. Like we, we definitely get sold that from every which way, right? We get sold that from everybody who's trying to profit on, you know, whatever they're going to sell us to avoid our emotions, but it's not how we were created. Like we were created to feel hard things and to become who we need to become through the feeling of hard things. Yeah. Yeah. To just chuck them out as if they're not worthwhile because they're difficult or not even. And it's interesting too, because I don't even think that we are all that necessarily afraid of them sometimes. I think we've just don't know or haven't been told that like they're okay. Like it's not even a fear as much as we've made them wrong. Right. Like I wasn't necessarily afraid of my sadness as much as I just made it so wrong to be sad because sadness was just such a weak, icky thing. Like why, why would I be sad if I had so much to be grateful for? How could I be sad where these other people are suffering so much more than me? Like how, how can I even indulge in that? It felt, felt guilty and shameful to be sad. And, and so, yeah, it wasn't for, for some of those emotions, it wasn't even a fear of them. It was just that I'd been so conditioned that they were wrong. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, especially with, after having Albe and I got, well, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression and he, and I, I remember, I remember even my husband saying to me, what's wrong? What is wrong? You've got everything you want. And, and I, and I couldn't answer because I didn't know. Um, but yeah, I felt, I felt guilty for that. Um, because you do look at other people and you think, yeah, I, I, if people looked at my lives, they'd think, how can she be sad? Um, she's got what, with what she's got. But I, I do think it, it's the cycle of alcohol. It, it just brings you down and brings you down and brings you down. And so dealing with postnatal depression on its own is bad enough. But I think dealing with it when you're in a bottle of wine a night, it's, you just feel like a, fail, like a failure, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting. I've heard it recently saying that suffering isn't necessarily the negative emotions. Suffering is piling on the shouldn't to the negative emotions. Yeah. <laughs> or the shouldn't to the mistakes. And and we suffer not not actually in the ups and downs of the human experience, but we suffer in the making the human experience wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I, I Another part of that is um, when I um, when I first stopped drinking, uh, I'd go to bed really early because I thought I need to sort of be in bed and away from any temptation. And when I'd be in bed, I'd be thinking, oh, my God, remember when I did this, that was really bad. I remember when I did this when I was drunk and really bad. And I, the, the uh, regret and shame that came when I first stopped drinking it, it was it felt immense it felt um not immense in a good way immense and it's really heavy on me and I, I can't I don't even know when it was in the sort of time frame but after a bit I just had to accept it and move on like that I did it I did whatever things I did and just move on from it and stop uh, beating myself up basically about it um yeah so I think and a, a big uh, part of my um moving on is acceptance acceptance that yeah okay I did drink too much and but I'm doing something about it yeah 
Uh, absolutely. Like being able to, to look it in the eye and then say, okay, now, now that I've been really honest, what's next? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell me a little bit about like oh, yeah. your, your an interesting line of work, especially for this topic in conversation, um, both from the perspective of seeing people and dealing with people who have been drinking too much and from the perspective of just the culture of drinking. And, and I'm just curious, like, did those things ever collide in your mind? And, and I've talked to other people who are in law enforcement or as EMTs or something. And it's kind of like, well, here were the people we were trying to manage because they were rambunctious and rowdy and, and drunk. But then here we were, but we weren't this. So like, was there any ever moment of like, huh? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I worked uh, when I was in uniform uh, in the city center of Manchester. So uh, that's a big, a big city. It's a big drinking culture. Uh, and I could not stand being on nights over weekend, over the weekend, dealing with girls. Girls were the worst. The drunken girls were the worst. Um, and dealing with uh, screaming and and just nonsensical. And and I, but then I would have probably been worse than them on my night out. Um, and it's quite strange because I never connected the two at the time. But there were many a times that I got lost or uh, got in a taxi and couldn't say my address to go home. And, you know, and it, I, I sort of had this, um, uh, what's the word? Um, alter, alter personality, like alter ego, alter personality sort of thing where this was my, um, my work life and uh, drunk people really like did my head in. And then this was my going out life. Um, and and I was probably twice as bad as them. And I remember once I had the same taxi driver all the time who used to take me out. So um, he knew everything about me. I told him everything about me, you know, in my drunken state. Um, and I, I, so he knew my address, so it was quite handy. So if I couldn't speak any nights, he'd be able to take me home. And I remember seeing him one day in the gym and he was waving at me through the window. And I'm like, oh my God. And it was like seeing somebody I'd slept with because I thought he only knows the drunk me and, and this is me being the healthy me. And it, it was like my two worlds had collided. Um, but yeah, that, that was a weird feeling, but still I kept things separate and didn't associate the two at, at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's definitely the, the narrative. Um, and I mean, even outside of that where you're working face to face, I talk in my book about like, being in Las Vegas and, you know, a corporate executive, I was out um, for a run before we were all going to go out and go drinking, but somehow I just managed it in a way that like, I drink till I was pretty tipsy, pretty drunk. And then I'd go to my room and I'd keep drinking and then I'd sleep it off kind of my, my thing because I never wanted to be one of those yeah. people right yeah. at, at the meeting. But then looking around me at all these like college kids, like stumbling over themselves with their huge yards of beer and being like, oh yeah, well that's, yeah. that's the problem, yeah. you know, and just not even, and I think we all do it. I think we all have, um, you know, it, it's a protection mechanism, obviously, but it's just fascinating. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. I, uh, we went to a wedding at the weekend and we just went to the evening uh, part of it and it was in a lovely hotel. And when we got in, every, all the girls looked gorgeous. 
uh, and they were all dancing. And I struggle with, I love dancing, but I struggle with sober dancing. And I feel like I have no idea what to do with my arms. Um, so I can sit in a chair and I can dance in a chair, but actually standing up and dancing. And I was really jealous uh, for about an hour. I thought, oh, uh, now would be the, a really good time to have a drink. And then within, within about an hour and a half, one girl was asleep at the table. One girl couldn't walk. One got carried out. And I just thought, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm teetotal now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Because that would have been me. It, it's literally just like, give it time. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. just leave and think everything was perfect. Just give it a little time and you'll remember that it's, it's not perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah, sober dancing, I think, was hard for me at first too, until actually that point where everybody else was drunk. And then I was like, okay, well, nobody cares anymore because everybody else is drunk. And so then I, yeah. I did and I was like able to get into it. Um, and yeah, but it is one of those things where you're like, I just don't, I don't have the scaffolding to do this because I just hadn't done it. Right. And yeah. And so it, and it does take like practice, like everything else, it just takes practice or it takes saying, you know what, I didn't actually love dancing in public anyway. And maybe mm. that was, you know, I just only did it. I remember having that feeling very specifically about like dance clubs, like I didn't actually like them, you know, I'd always go and I'd just get drunk to like deal with the awkwardness of everybody being on the prowl. And uh, yeah, and yeah. It's like, Oh, that, that was my scene. Like, and just saying, okay, that's okay. I'm going to make peace with the fact that that wasn't my scene. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I, I go to, um, we do a class at the gym now called Shazam or Shabam or something like that. But it, and it's like that it's dancing. So I just think, right, okay, I'll do my dancing in the gym, and I dance like a like like well, like an, like a child basically, uh, and I love it. And I think, right, okay, if that's my dance fix, that's great. I'll leave it at that. That's awesome. Yeah, I do. I do it with my kids now. <laughs> you know, random. Yeah, maybe I should dance start parties. That. They love it. They're like, what is happening? This is the best. Mom is crazy, and then they laugh at you or you embarrass them, and that's just even more fun. Eggs me on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So in your, um, in your sort of social life and career life, have you had like people be upset that you stopped drinking? Has it been relatively easy or how has that gone? No, um, I've de I definitely had friends who I got drunk with um, and that's all we basically did. I, I love, I, like, I, I have a small group of friends and then... Um, it, it, it does change it changes the relationship and I've tried to sort of think outside the box and say rather than I was just going out and drinking shall we meet during the day go for some like afternoon tea um or there's a there's a new thing here I don't know if you've got it over there where it's axe throwing um so you go into a club and you do the axe throwing and just think outside the box a little bit but my friendships did did change initially and and I started drinking at the beginning. I drank um, alcohol-free stuff, um, like Copperberg, alcohol-free Copperberg. I liked that. But I realized I was only drinking it for their sake because I might as well just have a Diet Coke or a lime soda. Um, but to, to have something in my hand that looked like I was joining in was for their sake. Uh, because I, I, I was the same. If, if, if I was out with a group of people and somebody was sober and not drinking, I wouldn't talk to them. Because I think they'll remember everything I said and everything I did. So I'd avoid them. 
Um, but we're, there are like a group groups of friends that we've got that we've spent nights with them. And I thought, actually, it's just as good. You wouldn't know that I weren't drinking. And they're sort of you true friends, I suppose, where you can just be yourself. Because you forget, I kept, uh, kept reminding myself, because I, I thought I'm not funny when I'm when I'm sober. I'm funny when I'm when I've had a drink. Um, but then I thought, well, I don't drink at work, and I still have a laugh at work. So I must, I must, my personality must be all right. But it was just, I, I, it took a bit of time to um, realize that I wasn't some butter in person because I didn't have a drink. I was the same person as I was during the day at work, not drinking. So. But I had to keep telling myself that uh, because that did, I did think, oh, I'm going to, everybody's going to think I'm boring. I am boring. I've got nothing to say. But actually, once you, after time, you do think uh, it makes no difference. I'm, I'm probably more interested now because <laughs> you can understand what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And another, I mean, I was just saying this um, earlier, but another, t another strategy that I think is so helpful is you know, when we get into these social situations and we're like, oh gosh, what everybody going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm boring? Are they going to be upset? Are they going to feel confronted? Are they going to feel uh, angry, et cetera? And if we just say, okay, wait a second, I'm going to actually just feel like, how can I show up for somebody else tonight? Like whether that's like, how can I just be a really great listener or how can I learn, yeah. you know, two new things about people that I've known for a really long time. And, and all of a sudden, like, how can I give the gift of just being a really present person for somebody tonight? What happens is like, we take the focus off ourselves and we end up being like the most magnetic person in the room because everybody loves somebody who's wanting to listen and be there and, and actually engage and be present with them. I mean, that is, that is the thing that is like, yeah, people love. that's really good. That. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Uh, because you do obsess about yourself. Um, I, I, and you think uh, when I was uh, drinking, I was obsessing whether I was drinking too much or whether I was drinking too little, whether I'd gone over the limit of um, being having fun and I was just drunk now. And so it's all about me. It's all about me. And then I realised that I couldn't, I couldn't moderate uh, because I was just constantly thinking about alcohol the whole time. So I, I yeah. So you. It, your focus is on yourself all the time so that's that's a really good tool i suppose to focus on everybody else as opposed to you yeah, yeah it's amazing. I like that. when you do it it's like all of a sudden it's not like you know, yeah it's not <laughs> that big of a deal it's great so good um awesome well I want to ask you the question that i always sort of ask at the end which is you know if you were going to go back to irene of uh, especially, you know, struggling and, and feeling like alcohol was the way to deal with the grief and the way to deal with the fear of the brain tumor. And oh my gosh, all of the things that yeah. you dealt with. And you were going to tell her about how you got through it and what life is like now. What would you say? Um, I, it's just, I just would say I stopped drinking, <laughs> experience life without it like my sons are five and seven and I want them to, this is my idea, ideal anyway, I want them to experience life a little bit without alcohol first. So go to a gig, go to a concert, go out with your mates, 
without alcohol and then see what you think about it. And then if you do want a drink, then that's fine. Have a drink, but at, at least just experience it first. So because you, you have a drink as soon as you're legal, if not earlier. So you haven't really experienced any life without, without alcohol in it. Um, so yeah, I'd, I've sort of gone off the, um, off the topic a bit there, but I just, just try it. And, and it's not as hard as, I, as you actually think it would be. Once you get in the right mindset, um, you just you, you sort of focus. Uh, I'd meditate a lot. I never thought I'd meditate. Um, at writing, getting my thoughts out of my head onto paper. I know you, you spoke about that earlier. Um, that's how I started writing the book, getting all my thoughts out of my head um, to get them in some sort of order. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing what you can actually achieve. It's just amazing without it. Wow, I love that. So, yeah, and what about your book? Yeah, so it's uh, live on Amazon. So I, I, um, I self-published it. Uh, and I kept, I'm, I'm good at procrastinating. I'm, I want to be a runner. I'm not a runner yet. I've been saying that for about five years. Um, and I always thought I'd love to write. I'd love to write. And, I, and I, like I say, I wrote for my sort of well-being initially. And then I thought, actually, I, I don't know whether there's something in this. So I, uh, I wrote 7,000 words and I get, sent it out to a few friends and said, what do you think of this? Uh, but it's all about me and, my, and our lives. Um, but it, it's called Look for the Rainbows. And it's about even though these things happen to you, um, you, can, you can get through them. And, and it's funny and it's sad, um, but it, it's just real and it's honest. And I, I, I'm just very honest in it. I'm basically saying it's okay to laugh. After you've lost a child, it still is okay to laugh. And um, I ended up drinking my five-year-old uh, we in a cup and yeah that's okay to do that obviously I didn't do it on purpose but um so that's what the book is about but yeah I just thought I'll, I'll just do it so I just self-published it and it's out there so oh it's awesome so look for the rainbows by Irene yeah. Wignall W-I-G-N-A-L-L yeah great that's awesome well thank you so much this has been such a pleasure and I'm just amazed with it's such a story of resilience you know sometimes people are like well I, I just can't do it because there's just been too many hard things and you've really chosen not to not to be the victim here and to say yeah, yeah there's hard things but I'm not I'm not at the mercy that's it I, I suppose in the police as well you do see victims of life and I, and I never wanted to be a victim of life um so that's it you just yeah choose not to be and crack on or or just go under, basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much, Irene. It was thank really you for a pleasure. speaking to me. Thank you. It's wonderful. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Annie Grace. I want to tell you about the most important book that I never wrote, and I mean that. This is This Naked Life. It's 48 true stories of people finding freedom from alcohol, and it's so inspiring. 
It's our stories, as you know from this podcast, that truly change us, that revolutionize what we believe is possible for ourselves. So it's This Naked Life. You can find it on Amazon or check it out online. Even download it 100% free at nakedlifestories.com. And every single copy that you buy, all the proceeds are 100% committed to keeping the alcohol experiment forever free for anybody who needs it. So check it out. It's such an inspirational book. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.